Welcome to the All or Something Living Podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Kepler, and this podcast is all about ditching black and white thinking and exploring the gray areas of health, happiness, and everything in between. If you're ready to feel empowered and inspired, then let's get to it. Hello, hello, and welcome to this episode of the new bonus series, Conversations with My Fiancé, or as he would have it, Conversations with the Most Handsome Man in the World. And today we are going to tackle a topic that I've been avoiding because it's a heavy one, it's a big one, even he's over here shaking his head like when I told him, let's just talk about this now, he was like, oh, really? And, you know, I'm feeling the same way, but I do feel that it's important at this point in time. We've had so many conversations around this topic with people, with each other. Um, It's something we're still consistently exploring and we're educating ourselves every single day. That being said, I just want to preface all of this by saying this is going to be a real raw conversation We might make mistakes and there's going to be Orca meowing in the background if you heard that because she's just annoying. Um, Anyway, this is just going to be a real honest conversation and we are human and we will make mistakes. We might say something politically incorrect and that's completely fine. I think it's important to allow for these conversations and allow for mistakes and not saying something perfectly. Um, And I think a lot of people are not saying anything at all because they are afraid to say the wrong thing. And so I want to open up a space of honesty and vulnerability here and just just to let you know that we are coming from a good place um, and that I recognize that if you are here listening or if you and I have had conversations in the past about this, Um, that I recognize that you probably also are coming from a good place, that sometimes what holds us back is our own ignorance and um, and then being shut down for that ignorance can cause us to want to stay silent and to feel afraid to talk about these things. So if you haven't figured it out yet, the topic we're going to cover today is race, especially concerning the recent events that are going on. And, you know, we're going to share our experiences around... um, around race and racism, of course. And so as you're listening, again, just want to remind you that we are continuing to educate ourselves that I speak to Jason about his experience as a black man, not expecting him to be the end-all be-all expert of this. Um, And also just recognizing that And also to emphasize that Jason's experience as a black man in America does not cover everybody's experience as a black person in America. And that's why it's so important for you to collect a variety of diverse opinions and experiences so that you can kind of make up your own um, knowledge boat. And that's what we've both done is we've talked to various types of people from all ends of the spectrum, from, you know, white conservatives to white liberal liberals, to black conservatives, to black liberals, um, or somewhere in between. It's very important to hear the variety of perspectives. And so in this episode, all we're doing is offering our perspectives, our research, our thoughts on the current events, and that's all there is to it. So, Without further ado, let us bring Jason in and get right into it. 
All right, Jason, welcome and thank you so much for taking out the time and energy to have this conversation. I know that you've been very open to having conversations with my friends and my family members, and I really appreciate you being open to doing that because I know that it, I'm sure it is like draining for you at some points, right? It can be, and uh, thank you for having me and thank you for using your platform to open up the conversation and to help people just to get a better understanding of, you know, the other side or somebody else's point of view outside their own. Yeah, definitely. Speaking of points of view, I just want to start out this episode by talking, briefly talking about um, just comparing experiences growing up, not necessarily comparing, but sharing. Um, and seeing the difference in how we both grew up. And so I'm going to start with my experience of, you know, what race meant to me as I was growing up. And then Jason is going to chime in with his experience. So first of all, I grew up in a very small conservative town. I think I had one black girl in my high school. Um, I can't remember if there were any black guys. But anyway, I didn't have a lot of... (laughs) I didn't have a lot of exposure to black people or just race in general. Um, The only exposure that I really had or the only, I guess, I don't know how to describe it. Um, The only situations with race that I dealt with were that the N-word was used very readily in my community. We thought it was funny to say. There were a lot of jokes with it. I said it like... um, it was, it was normal for me to just like say it and not really think much of it. Um, and, and again, as far as when it comes to race, I was taught what a lot of, I've noticed a lot of people in small town communities that are not very diverse tend to say is, I don't see color, which is really a way of saying like, I am ignorant to other people's experiences, other cultures and other colors, not by like not on purpose. I thought that saying I don't see color was a compliment. I thought it was like, oh, I just love everybody. Um, But anyway, we'll get more into why that was problematic for me. So I, so growing up in a small town, it was really easy for me to think that the way that I experienced the world and what I saw was everybody's experience outside of my town. And so that's why it was really easy for me to stay in my bubble for so long and say, you know, racism doesn't exist anymore. That's the thing of the past because I was taught in school that it was just some like, you know, there were white supremacists and the Ku Klux Klan, but then, you know, these laws came into effect and these changes were made and now we're good and we're safe from racism. And I personally didn't witness a lot of racist acts overtly in my small town because there weren't many opportunities for me to see that because I wasn't exposed to a lot of black people. Um, And it wasn't until I left my hometown that I started to recognize the stereotypes that I built up over time about how black people are scary, um, about how they are often criminals. These are, remember, these are the things that I was led to believe, not that I choose to believe now. Um, That they just felt like I felt like black men were aggressive and black women were angry. Um, And I didn't realize that, like I said, until I had exposure. So I went to basic training and um, in my flight of women, there were a lot of black women 
And I was running through the dorms one morning and just like all hyper and I ran by a group of black girls and I said what I had been so used to saying all the time around white people and feeling safe doing that. And I looked at them and I said, what up my blue? (laughs) (laughs) And I froze and they froze and we stared at each other and we, we all just kind of bursted out laughing because they realized that like I had recognized like, oh shit, like up until this point, this had been okay. Um, I hadn't really thought much of it. And so that was kind of my first awakening. And again, even in basic training, um, I did make, I did become close friends with like one or two of them over and over time, like they, that relationship was very strained in the beginning. I thought they were bullying me, but really what they were seeing and what they were expressing was like their frustration with me being such a naive um, white girl and not like, and just totally ignoring who they are and who their, what their experience was and assuming it was the same as mine. And that created conflict and tension between us. Um, and so over time they've taught me and as I've learned how my thoughts and behaviors were problematic, um, I've grown from that. But anyway, so went from that to, I was stationed over in England and when I was there, on base and off base, I got hit on by a lot of black guys. And my thing was like, oh, I'm not attracted to black guys. Like I put them all in one category and and just thought that like, because a lot of my experiences of getting hit on by um, black men were like, they were very aggressive, like aggressively pursuing me. Um, And really that was the case for a lot of the men, but I, again, put black people into one category. And so it wasn't until I met Jason, my fiance, who, if you haven't noticed by now, is black. Um, I felt very, like, I was very confused, and I was like, how am I attracted to a black man? Again, like, not the sexiest thing to talk about, and and very, I'm not proud to admit it, um, but I was nervous about the fact that I felt this way about him. And so one of the first things that I had said to my mom when I called her to tell her I was actually like dating a new guy is I was like, but I'm nervous to tell you, mom. And she's like, what? And I'm like, he's black. And she was like, okay, cool. Your point is. And the reason that I was so nervous is because in my childhood, um, my, my brother and my dad and other men around me had had made like racial slurs and said things that made me think that they wouldn't accept me dating a black man. Um, And again, these are things that we are as a family are working to overcome, but it comes with growing up in a small town where you have a very limited view of the world. And this is something Jason will probably bring up, but you don't have a black man or a black person like holding you accountable for what you say or what you think. So it's really easy to say or feel all these things behind closed doors when black people aren't around, but what happens when they're present? So all that being said, let's get into Jason's point of view. Um, Ooh, actually first, I just wanna say, because in case you bring this up, I grew up in a household with all of my family together, um, my, both of my parents, and we had a somewhat stable household. But it, anyway, we grew up in a household with both parents and the entire family present. So, Jason, please tell us <laughs> your experience. So, my experience in uh, some instances are the stereotypical, like, single parent household, but in other cases, it it wasn't so 
from the age of I was when I was born to six years old, yes, it was just me and my mom. Then she met my stepdad once I became six, and so it was me, my mom, my stepdad, and we had my little brother soon after. So it was just the dynamic. We had a complete family, all four of us, up until I was, I want to say, 12. So for six years, we were all together and everything. And then my mom and stepdad got a divorce, and it was just me, my mom, and my little brother. So with that being said, I did have... Uh, male influence in my life during the beginning as well as I continue to have male influences in my life be it uncles or friends or like my friend's dad like one of my best friends his dad um, was always there with him and was a big influence uh, in my life and still is so I've always had like male influences in my life to to look at and, and to see how to to kind of like be a man, but my mom has always been that constant presence in my life. So that's kind of where I get a lot of my values as far as how I raise my son and how I treat women in, in whole. So with all that being said, that kind of helped mold me into the man I am today. And growing up, because we had two incomes in the house, I was able to we, we, we lived in apartments um, my whole life, like growing up and just until I reached high school, then we finally um, moved into a house. But we lived in apartments which were predominantly black, but the schools I went to were made up of all different races because I grew up in, um, in Metro Atlanta and just had, we had Hispanics, blacks, whites. So one of my first friends that I can remember having in school was uh, this, this this white boy named Blake. And me and him was just so cool, but now being older, I know it's like, we, we never hung out outside of school. Uh, I never went over his house, but in school, when we were came together, we was just like good friends. Um, and it just goes to show how different me and Lauren experiences are as far as how I was exposed to whites at a young age, and that's just because of the nature of where I grew up, being having the opportunity for my parents, being like lit working in a major city where you have all different kinds of people to where she was able, her parents were able to still make a living, living in a small town with only predominantly whites. So, and I just, and that's why I always tell people um, that that right there should let you know how America is like made up to where blacks can't, um, what sort of look, we, we can't prosper in an environment on our own without, you know what I'm saying, without whites. So somebody at once asked me, he's like, do I believe systemic racism is a thing? And I was like, yes, how could you not <laughs> um, understand that it's a thing? Because back when we did have predominantly black thriving cities like Tulsa, Oklahoma or Rosewood, whites came in and destroyed it. And so ever since then, we have never been able to kind of get to those points. And so with me growing up 
understanding that and understanding like the difference in between the races I've always been able to kind of get along in a in a sense because whereas I grew up around all blacks in my neighborhood all the friends I had at home were black but in at school I had white friends Hispanic friends and that just kind of helped me understand that yeah there is a difference between us but we're, at the end of the day we're still all people and I feel like a lot of people have grown up to not understand that and it's just the, like I said the product they're just products of their environment and I've had black men in my life who have told me he was who'd be like oh don't trust the white men they're always trying to keep us down um they you just gotta worry about you and yours where in their instances yes that might have been true you know where is there plenty of times with me as a as a black man now in the world like i've seen me get passed over on certain things based on my race and it was just them kind of letting me help me understand the world growing up in but the way they went about doing it, it was just so much anger behind it because they were so upset with the fact that they feel like because there are black men they have no chance and as a father now of a black man i try to under explain to him that yes is the world we're living in but it's not it's not going to help me it's not going to help him for me to convey in an angry way i just give him all the information and try to educate him on the way the world is the way to where he understands and want to help make it better so that's all I try to do as a black man is do my part to educate people on my experience and explain to them that, yeah, I do see that racism is still alive um, just by the simple fact that certain people won't be blatant racist about it. That don't mean they don't have these certain biases because of how they were raised and because we all have biases like even me as a black man growing up I'm like fair complected or fair scared excuse me and some of my other friends were even lighter than me I had friends darker than me but growing up it was like all right if the lighter skin you are the more attractive you are and the dark skin you are, you're looked on as less attractive. And this is just in the black community alone. So where, as if you're a light, uh, lighter skinned woman, you're looked on, you're looked at as, oh, she's more attractive, more desirable. The same as if you're a lighter skinned man. And these are things that were put into us by, by society, by the media, that growing up, we didn't know any better. And as... And as we've grown up, it just, people are being more vocal about it in the black community. Be like, no, all, uh, all you know, colored people are beautiful. You know what I'm saying? Whatever shade they come in, they're, they're all beautiful. Just take the, each person as they are. Don't just be focused on, the, on the, their skin tone. And that's kind of like where, with the whole Black Lives Matter, is that we're trying to get people to understand not only whites, Hispanics, Asians, but blacks too, to understand like, hey, your life matter, no matter what shade you are. Um, 
because they it does as as human beings, you know, and our lives do matter. Well, and the reason that we're focusing on Black Lives Matter is because these lives have been overlooked for such a long time. And so it's kind of one of those situations where for now we're focusing on this, like, duh, we know all lives matter. And it's so annoying to hear people like shout that out. Like, that's not a question. But when there are certain people who have been marginalized or overlooked or treated unfairly in the past, there's some catching up that we have to do. And I notice a lot of people get defensive when, you know, we talk about the issues of race or in wanting to, people get defensive in wanting to acknowledge the experiences of people that are different than them because they feel if they acknowledge that, that maybe they would owe them something or like, oh, it's not my fault. It was my ancestors. I'm not racist, but it's not an individual issue because this is such a systemic (laughs) issue It's so important to recognize that, yeah, maybe that's your experience and yeah, maybe you're not racist, but caveat to that, I would still, even if you don't think you're racist, I would still examine your beliefs and your biases. And the way that I explain this to some of my friends is that there are rare cases or or I'm not sure exactly how many cases, so I'm not going to put a number to it, but there are some cases where police officers are like overtly racist, where they will openly say like, um, I hate black people, therefore I'm gonna abuse my power. That's not, and I think it's really easy to dismiss that that exists because it is such a dramatization of the situations of um, police brutality, especially against black people. I think it's really easy to just dismiss that and say, well, like that was one cop, that was one instance, but the, th- the microaggressions, as they're called, where um, there are certain beliefs or where... So a racial bias, for an example, is like, say, a cop has this belief that like black men are thugs or they're dangerous or they're gangsters. They might hold this bias and not really like think much of it because it's just what they've been conditioned to believe. And again, I'm saying this from experience. This is what I was led to believe. It's not as dangerous for me working in, say, like a nine to five corporate job where I don't really have a lot of power to hold these beliefs because they don't really um, lead to action in most cases, right? But when you're a police officer and you have all this power, and not power is in like you are purposefully trying to abuse it, but where you have situations where you have to make quick split, split like um, what is that? Decisions. Yeah, just quick decisions on the like right away. And say you do have these like underlying beliefs. So if you're in a situation where you are with a black man and you're stopping him for whatever reason. And you're thinking, like, black men are gangsters, black men are thugs, and he puts his hand into his pocket, you're automatically going to assume that that's a gun or that's a dangerous weapon. And that's where it truly becomes dangerous and problematic for for you to make that assumption because that leads to these catastrophic results, right? Um, Do you have anything to say about that, babe? No, just... Not really, because it's it's all it's all true, and it just just like you hear from a, a lot of cops, it sucks when they're put in into this uh, 
into this bubble and this, this category. And I say what I say to that is, yeah, imagine how we feel as black men because you're all you're putting us all into this bubble as you know we we are thugs like you said or you know what I'm saying or we have ill intentions, but just like not all of not all cops are, are bad not all black men have ill intentions you know so it, it goes both ways and the sooner people just step outside of themselves and just understand that big picture and understand where the other side is coming from like we it help us to move forward yeah and that's why it's so important that's why i say like even if you don't think that you're racist or um so yeah so a racial bias is a thought and then the racism is the act uh, or has been described in some cases so the thought from a police officer would be uh, black people are this that and then the action the racist action would be to use excessive force on this person just because of what you believe about their race um, so so that's why I always talk about why it's important for us all not it's not just me sitting here reading books listening to podcasts and things like that like Jason is also educating himself on um, racism and black history and everything Jalen is doing the same like we're all doing this together as a family and the reason is so that we can start to recognize and point out these injustices or these microaggressions as I call them or all these little like subtle racial biases that do make a difference in the long term and then you can take that information and not just not be racist again because it's not only an individual issue but you also need to be anti-racist. You need to be on the lookout for these. Oops, ignore that. That was my meditation alarm. But we need to be on the lookout for these exper for these potential um, experiences that could lead to something bigger. And all of these have been going on in the background for so long, but we've been ignoring it for so long and just kind of pushing it to the side. And that's something that we'll talk about with Jason when it comes to invalidating black people's experiences. But so many people are like focusing on the issue of, um, you know, once everything happened with Ahmaud Arbery and, you know, and George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, there are so many people that are coming out and thinking that this is the issue that we're all fighting over that, you know, that raised the idea of Black Lives Matter. Um, but really that was just the catalyst for many white people, especially, to get in and finally say, this is enough. Like, this is so frustrating. And I remember, and not just frustrating, like that's an understatement. It's so much more than that. But I remember the same feeling that I had when I came home from a morning walk and I read the news about George Floyd. I even watched the video. Orca, you're crazy. I, she, I even watched the video and I don't recommend that to everybody, but I really just wanted to like allow myself to feel into it. And because, you know, especially I'm marrying a black man and I'm helping to raise a black son. And so these issues are near and dear to my heart. Like that could have been either one of them. And, um, and so that's why it was like the, the catalyst, it opened our eyes to recognize that, hey, there are bigger issues at hand here. So, you know, it's really easy to dismiss and say like, oh, that was just one instance. Why is everybody so angry? But there is just so much more that we've ignored for so long. And Jason wants to pipe in with this because. Yeah, so 
with that being said, with George Floyd, it's been compared to a public lynching to where just, I want to say four years ago, when Colin Kaepernick took a knee to to protest this exact thing um, because it's not a one-off circumstance. He, he was protesting it back then and people were protesting it before the, even before that, but he was just using that platform. And the reason why, like Lauren was saying, the reason why people got an uproar now is because everybody saw it because of technology today, because of the the attitude of the cops that were doing it, because when people were when black people were lynched, that's how that's how they looked. They were just like like it was nothing, like it was just another Monday afternoon. And for people to see that and people to understand what they were seeing, which is a black man dying at the hands of law enforcement, it just sparked something in our nation to be like, okay, this is not right. Something needs to change. And at the time people were calling for, you know, saying for them not to only be arrested, but then for them to be prosecuted, not only for them to be prosecuted, but for them to actually, you know, be put in jail for murdering this man. But until, like, I've heard a lot of, uh, or not a lot, but I've heard some people suggest until they make police brutality, a hate crime, a law, that you still have a chance of things like this to happen again. Yeah. And if, and again, this is another reason I wanted to watch the video is to really understand it from my point of view, so that if people denied certain things about it, you know, I could say I saw this from firsthand experience. And something that I noticed is like the, the officers were no, were so nonchalant when it was going on. Um, and they were just like making jokes, like this is why we don't do drugs, kids. And and so, Jason, when people say it wasn't about race, this could have been uh, anybody, what do you say to that? I say, but it wasn't anybody. It was a black man. And if if it was a white man, it wouldn't have happened because they would have seen themselves. They didn't see themselves in this black man because they weren't black. They didn't have his experiences. And people like to go with the argument, well, the cop that did it, he outranked the other cops. But we all know right is right and wrong is wrong as adults. And those men, granted, that man out that officer outranked them, but they didn't have to participate in it. They could have said something, but the fact that they saw him as lesser than or they didn't see they couldn't see themselves in him, so therefore they didn't have any compassion for him shows or explains shows the fact that like no, this wouldn't have happened. You know, this happened to a black man because he was a black man and they were white men and they dehumanized him. Exactly. So that brings us then to the topic of kind of what I teased earlier was, you know, um, invalidation of the black experience and what, you know, racism or how racial biases show up and, and all of that. So what are your, what are your experiences or your thoughts on that, Jason? Because I've learned that, or I've heard from a lot of um, black people in all different, you know, like 
capacities, like say on social media or in research that I've done or books that I've read, that a lot of times black people are exhausted and tired of speaking up because a lot of the ways that racism shows up is very hard to pinpoint and very hard to prove. And that's why in this case with George Floyd, it's so easy to say, well, obviously it wasn't about race and then dismiss it. Um, and that sucks because again, that invalidates that black people do have a different experience. So what are your thoughts on all of that? Well, it just, like you just said, just how people just brush on the rug unless it's like clearly blatant, unless somebody, like I just said about the lynching, because that's what that was. It was a, a, a modern day lynching. People like are quick to say, oh, racism doesn't exist because it's not happening to them. Mm-hmm. And those people, um, because of the biases they have, they don't want to admit that it, it's still it's still happening because it makes them look at themselves a certain way. And people don't like doing that. And like me personally, I like you said, I'm educating myself because I'm not the know all be all about it, but I want to better understand it because like I said, I'm raising a, a black man and in the past, I have had my own biases. Like I said, due to media, due to where I, was, where I grew up, I would um, talk to or like know of a, a black person and be like, "Oh, they're not quote unquote black," you know. Because and then I was put, I've been put in that bubble. So for me to turn around and do it to someone else just goes to show how deep it is as far as our mentalities. And the simple fact that once I, the person I said it about, I apologize to him because I'm like, as a black man to another black man, I shame on me for 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 degrading you like that, you know, mm-hmm. for that really hurt him. Exactly, and and for putting that pain on him because I have had that put on me, not even by uh, by uh, by black and whites because of the simple fact I don't quote-unquote, fit, fit the black men that society has portrayed in the media, in the movies, and stuff like that up until this point. And as I've learned, representation is so important. And what black men were being represented as were, like, thugs and stuff like that, if you, if you look in your movies and TV shows. And it wasn't probably until... Uh, Black Panther came out to where blacks were portrayed in this light of in their own environment, not only striving or thriving, but just doing more than their white counterparts. And I think that that's why that movie was such a a big thing and um, and just made as much money as it did because of the representation and the fact that now as as a society as blacks we understand that we understand that how monumental this was and we put our money where our mouths were yeah and that's an interesting point too because something that i've noticed with you is that um and i've always wondered if this is why you've been so ready readily accepted into my family is because you are not like the stereotypical what people think of black men. And I remember when I first started dating you, somebody close to me saying like, he better not be one of those black guys that yada yada. And so I'm like, now I'm looking back and I'm thinking about it. And I'm like, well, what if he was? 
how would that change the way that you fit into my family or when we went to my hometown, like if you were that way? Like you've been accepted into a lot of white communities because you represent yourself well, you're well-spoken, you're well-educated, you're dressed well. Um, what are your thoughts on that? And it's so many, it's more blacks out there that are more like me than that are portrayed in the media because of the simple fact that there are a lot of well-spoken, educated black men and women out there and it's just, like I said, the lack of representation and the lack of exposure that that people don't see, that people don't understand. Like, I'm not I'm not like this unicorn, you know what I'm saying? I'm the new normal. You know, they, you got... But why do you have to, like, fit into this new normal to, like, have wide acceptance of black people? So it, That's it, a hard... So it's not about us doing it for y'all to accept it this is this is the white culture just accepted this is black people taking advantage of the the very small uh opportunities we're having i.e have going to historically black colleges you know getting the education because is 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 available to us now so it's available to you now, and so I'm going to stop you right there because that's a common thing that people say is, well, if racism still exists, then why are all these black, like, I see all these black people thriving, so they're fine. What, what do you think about that? What do you say to that? Is, is, so just because they're thriving, they still aren't, or us as a community, we are still, it's a small percentage compared to the white community. So, yes, you might see some thriving for every, you know, President Obama, for every LeBron James, for every, you know, I'm saying uh, Patrick Mahomes. You got blacks that are still being looked over for promotions, blacks that are still not able to, you know, what I'm saying get jobs based on their name on the application. So. As we point these things out and bring them to the forefront, things are starting to change now. Just like in the past few months, wheels are in motion, but it's still nowhere near even. We're not on the even playing field. We're just trying to catch up because we all had such a huge, huge head start that, you know what I'm saying, what you're seeing now is just a few, you know what I'm saying, people who are who are catching up, but as the black community, we have not caught up to the white community yet. And that's why we're focusing so much on the black community right now to kind of give that like extra. I saw a graphic about this and maybe I, I doubt I'm gonna explain it well enough. So I recommend that you Google equality versus equity and that might help answer any questions that you have about like, why are we focusing so much on black people? Why do we feel the need to owe them something? Um, speaking of white privilege, a lot of people that I've talked to, and I keep saying a lot of people, <laughs> but people that I, I've seen certain perspectives of, you know, I don't want to admit, or I hate the word white privilege, or I hate the idea of it because it makes me feel like as a white person, I owe black people something. So what do you think about that? Well, that's the way they choose to feel. <laughs> you know, you can't change how people feel. But um, why do they commonly feel that way? 
uh, because what's their understanding? Well, I wouldn't say there. I feel like it's their lack of understanding that the fact that um, to the fact that they don't recognize that they did have a leg up, that the color of their skin does help them benefit. Because, like I just said, whites, the privilege, the white privilege we talked about is a privilege of them being able to surround themselves with people that look like them and thrive to whereas blacks, if we just surrounded ourselves with people that look like us, it'd be very hard for us to thrive because of the people with the ultimate power are still white and don't white look like us. Males, <laughs> right? White males, white, uh, spe- males. white males to be more specific. Uh, but there are, you know, there are black communities who are trying to thrive because like I said but this is now in the 2000s but again white communities have been thriving in their like bubble for decades well (laughs) and I think when it comes to white privilege too it's so important to recognize that it's not just about the idea that like if you're a white person you have it easy and a black person you have it hard that's not the point here because white people, you know, we still we still have to work for what we want in most cases. Um, there still are struggles among the white community. That's not to dismiss that experience, and it doesn't mean like as a white person your life is just perfectly easy and you don't have to deal with anything. Um, it's just another thing that comes into play here is like, you know, you're in a grocery store and people aren't following you around because they think that you are stealing. That's a white privilege. You have representation in the media, so you grow up and you're like, oh wow, I see this, I see these um, black people represented in the media that are really thriving. I can be that someday. Uh, and it, and so those are just some of the examples of, you know, just when you're in the position of the oppressor, you know, and I think this can be kind of likened to if you were growing up or if you were on the playground growing up and like you were the bully, you don't really grow up being sensitive to other people's experiences because all you know is that like I was the top of the food chain on the playground. And so for me personally, I know that I am very sensitive and open to people's experiences. And I'm not just talking like black people, I'm talking Um, all marginalized people, disabled, uh, people of all different types of backgrounds. I'm sensitive to their experience because I understand what it felt like to be bullied, to not be at the top of the food chain. And so I think a lot of the people who have been used to their whole lives, and specifically I'm talking about the ultimate oppressor, which is a white male, they, it's hard for them to be sensitive to the experiences of others who maybe haven't had it as not necessarily easy, but they, you know, they were the top of the food chain, so they, they don't know how to step, have empathy and step into their shoes and recognize, hey, this is an issue. Let me help you with this. I feel for you and I want to support you. Instead, they're like, get the fuck over it. Like, you don't, you don't know what it's like to struggle or whatever, dismissing their experiences. Now, Jason has his phone out and it looks like he has something to say. <laughs> <laughs> what? No? Um, no, I was just, I had my phone out just for reference use to, um, just to recommend a book, The Color of Law, because it harps on what you were talking about as far as 
the white privilege and how whites in general say like I didn't grow up with where's all this privilege coming from mm -hmm. you know that's what I always hear or you know my family struggle but if you read the book uh the color of law you would see that the, where the systemic racism comes from and how laws are set into place to keep blacks especially um to keep blacks in a disenfranchised state to where you have like the black projects where they didn't start out like that you know they started out for these inner city communities to help with getting jobs but then the how government and real estate agents came in there and just um made it to where our only blacks can live here and then they made these nice communities on the outside in the suburbs that they even wouldn't even allow blacks to buy and those houses over the years have gotten equity and those families, those white families, have passed it down to their children and so on and so forth. So that just that right there goes to show the leg up or the privilege that that whites in general. So if you weren't in that situation <coughs> for whatever reason, but the majority of whites, they were. They were given that that ability, to, that extra leg up. So I just discovered it. I'm still reading it myself, but it's very enlightening just to see where it where it kind of all stems from and the snowball effect that it has on today. Yeah, and that's just ex exactly that's just one example. And these are the things that we didn't learn about in school that we may not be aware of. I've been listening to the podcast Code Switch and it tells a lot of stories about like how, like you said, it was one simple event that created a snowball effect and is now still creating that effect. Um, and, and so again, it's really easy to deny and dismiss everything that's going on if we don't have all this information. But if that's just one example that Jason's saying, there are thousands more for that. So, um, yeah, so I think it's just really important to start becoming aware of things like that. Did you have something to say? Oh. <laughs> I feel like every time I, like, call you out, you get so... Right, because I'm like, like, ah, like why? Like, you know, it's, it's just... It's we're just having a conversation. Just, just let it flow. Like, I am letting it flow. And, and, I, and I was like, you know, I'm, like, I'm, I'm trying to respect your, uh, your ability. I want to make this conversation <clears throat> more about you than me, because I talk enough. Um, and so since we're kind of addressing a lot of the objections that have come up or a lot of the confusion that people are facing around the current issues, let's talk about the protests a little bit and, um, how, so it's a lot of, I don't, I'm trying not to say all the things I've been, a lot of people, and it's easy to say <laughs> all the things that I say over and over again, but I've noticed that people um, find distractors. So, for example, when Colin Kaepernick chose to kneel during the national anthem, instead of being curious about why was he kneeling, everyone decided to be outraged and angry and assume that he was disrespecting the flag without really understanding or doing any more research to um, 
to try and figure out where, like, what, why was, like, what was the issue at hand, right? And I think the protests were another great distractor. And so when something feels uncomfortable or when you, again, when your experience or your view of the world doesn't match up with something that you're seeing, it's really easy to disagree and then say, like, find a distractor. And so in the case of the protests, Instead of talking about like racism or why Black Lives Matter, I noticed a lot of people, especially from my small town, were saying, well, you know, I don't agree with the protests or the violence isn't the answer. Um, and I mean, that's a whole nother conversation because if you're saying violence isn't the answer, that's really hypocritical to the way that a lot of other situations have been approached or even the way that the president talked about, like, take any means necessary to get these thugs or however he worded that. Um, but anyway, back to the main point of using that as a distractor instead of focusing on the issue at hand. And so um, you've been able to explain this really well, babe. So what are your, like, what's your view of all that? <clears throat> so just like you said, that people use it as a distraction because we were ta- when people were bringing up the protests, they were quick to steer a conversation towards the riots and, and things like that. But if, again, I think it's mainly because the lack of education and that it's easy just to regurgitate what somebody, what you heard on whatever news outlet you watch or somebody posts on Facebook instead of actually understanding, like, what makes sense because if you look at the video of the quote-unquote people who are the rioters they're not the protesters rioters are rioters protesters are protesters in most cases yeah sometimes it overlapped it overlapped because they they come in and so no i know what you're saying but i want to i wanted to interject right there because i think i know that you're going to go to like the looters took advantage of the protests right Mm-hmm. That's and that's why it looked bad on the protesters. But some of the protesters were violent. I think it's important to recognize that, so it doesn't look like we're being ignorant on our parts. But in the mo- in most cases, the looters were separate from the protesters. And I mean, you can even talk about if you want to, or I can talk about it. But like violence, why it led to violence for some of the protesters, and the criticism around that, and why. You know, it's important to take that into account as well. Like what? Yeah, and, and and just just like with with anything, when you have all these emotions, and when you got two people, people. What I mean by like two people, what I mostly mean is like two groups. We got the law enforcement and these protesters who are in fact protesting law enforcement in in, in all these cases that it's just kind of like a powder keg where it doesn't take too much to spark and you get the riots. Um, But like I was saying, with the looting aspect of it, you will see, once once it came out that this was becoming a thing of distractor, you would see protesters actually protecting the businesses. You You would see business owners who in these communities understand like, hey, you know, this isn't right, however, I understand your how upset you are, and if you 
then do further research, those same, the protesters, not the looters, the protesters, not the cops, the protesters who was out protesting would come back and help these businesses clean up the next day because they understand that we are all in this community. So a lot of the people who, who were looting probably are wooden protesters who were just coming in to take advantage of the situation. And when it comes to riots, that's just the the what happens unfortunately when you get you know the people together they're real emotional you have riots after sporting events we don't get upset about that um you have you have riots on the other end where you have white supremacists who are coming in and riding against the blacks so again like i said people choose to highlight what they want to highlight. They choose to see what they want to see, what makes it easier for them to like deal with what's going on instead of making a hard decision to be like, wow, okay, let me, I understand that this is going on, this being the rise in Lulu, and that's unfortunate, but the big picture here is the police brutality. The big picture here is to understand that blacks have been disenfranchised for so long and what and instead of like saying oh get over it be like oh what can i do as one person to help you know and what i say to that to those people is just don't only you know stand up in public stand up in private if you like laura was saying earlier if you see people in your group make racial remarks or slurs or you know sexist slurs like call them out on it because being a military member we're always trained to call anybody out in the workplace so when they're being uh just when they're discriminating against other people no matter you know what i'm saying that person's race sexuality uh sexual preference and that's how we're trying to get the world to be. It's, Which, well, the military needs a lot of work, too. Oh, oh absolutely. <laughs> Hence why we do tra we're do. we still training. Because, again, if we were good, we wouldn't be getting this training every single year, every single day, always getting harped on. So, again, just like society, like the, the military is 1% of society. So that just goes to show if we as a 1% have so much work to do, Obviously, society as a whole has a lot of work to do because yeah. you just—it's a melting pot of of Americans in one area, and it just goes to show how you know we are in our society discriminating against each other. The fact that you bring just one percent of us together, and we're still discriminating against each other. Yeah, and you don't have to fully support or understand or. Um or you don't have to fully support or agree what somebody's doing in order to, or sh I guess I worded that wrong. You don't have to agree or understand to support. So, you know, I personally don't think that, um, I don't know, it's hard to say because I, I had mixed feelings on the violence and the riots, but also I was like, okay, imagine that I were trying to say something. So imagine like I had something to say and Jason like ignored me. And then at first I'm like, okay, whatever. And then he just, and I just felt like it's really important though. You need to hear this. And he just 
was like, nah, and brushed me off and brushed me off. And then I was like, okay, let me create a PowerPoint for you and let you know how I'm feeling. And he's like, no, it's not really important. I would eventually get angry and I'd be yelling and, and I would be upset. And so who am I to say like, oh, you should handle something this way when there is so much more under the surface than I'm seeing or that I am acknowledging. And so I, you know, the question always comes up like, what is the right way to draw attention to this then? Because back in, what year was it that Colin Kaepernick, was it 2016? Mm -hmm. Back when Colin Kaepernick peacefully tried to protest for racism. And police brutality. And police brutality, people dismissed him and ignored him. And that's, I mean, that's not just, that's not the only instance. There are just so many different examples of this. And so people are angry and people are feeling disrespected and not heard. And so they're dealing with it in the way that, you know, feels whatever good for them in this moment. I know men that get in fights because they feel that like they're not being heard and, um, or in relationships you get in fights when you feel like your spouse is not hearing you or you end up like cheating on them do we agree with those results or that outcome not exactly but we can understand it and support it so um yeah so jason just brought up a good point to me um about what i was saying about if jason's not hearing me in an argument go ahead and because it says i'm playing the role of an the oppressor now and not listen to Lauren as soon as she starts yelling and getting loud who am I to say oh why are you yelling or why are you so upset now and that just shows my ignorance <laughs> as the oppressor to be like she's yelling she's upset because I wasn't listening to her when she tried to come to me calmly I wasn't listening to her when she brought out the PowerPoint I just kept ignoring her and now now that she's yelling, guess what? She has my attention now. And that's just the same situation we find ourselves in now. Yeah. It's to where people were just quiet and they were kneeling and they were just doing all these, um, making, trying to make all these efforts for change. But the government, because that's where real change is going to come from, and these big corporations um, weren't listening. But now that people are yelling and protesting for days on end and weeks on end and taking over um, city halls and, and shutting down police departments, now they're listening. And it, it's unfortunate that it took this extreme, but sometimes that's what it takes. And you can't argue with the results. The results being um, those cops getting prosecuted to the jail, um, the Washington football team changing their name because corporate their the Washington um, corporate sponsors decided enough is enough and we're not going to bag this team that has a racial slur and again these are these are changes these are however like they're small changes because again real change and long term change is going to come without you know some type of legislation or you know what I'm saying some type of huge change and I don't mean like I know a lot of people are always quick to go to reparations but that is that is not feasible but what is feasible is to just hold people accountable yeah at all levels exactly yeah definitely and so kind of wrapping up this conversation I heard something the other day that I felt was really impactful because I've been back and forth on this idea of like you know if 
people, if I see people posting like blatantly like problematic things or racist things or even for me, <laughs> Trump supporters is like a triggering thing. Uh, I have to remember to tap into the humanity that these are still people. And I have to decide at my level whether they're ignorant or they're hateful. And Jason... What do you think? And, and so I agree with that because I, too, have a lot of friends. And it was brought up to me by a subordinate, like, how can I be friends with people who support Trump? And I explained to them, I, I was like, I, I know them as people and take away their political beliefs. Um, I know how they feel about me. And that's all. I can can worry about. It. They said, "Well, how can you be friends with somebody that openly supports a man that wants to divide the country and to keep black people oppressed?" And I, my answer to them was, "I can only control what I can control, and I choose to help influence those friends and to explain to them that, hey, contrary to your political beliefs, you know." This is my experience, and just and being patriotic doesn't always mean that you have to be ignorant to my experience and what I'm going through as, you know, a, a black man in America. And so with that being said, like, that's, that's just kind of like my outlook on having friends and having family members that supports our president. And calling out these issues doesn't mean that you don't support the country, you know. Um, this whole slogan of keep America great or make America great again, I think, like, could be a good slogan if it was actually headed in the right direction. Yeah, because, uh, like, with that being said, like, when... And when it, was America really that great? Exactly. When were we all equal? Exactly. You know, are we talking about slavery times? Are yeah. we talking about when women didn't have the right to vote? Uh, when was it? When was it great? The American dream of a white family with a picket fence home. I'm not white. Working exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so it's like, what the fuck do you mean by that? And yeah, that's a good idea, but like, that's not what Trump is talking about, or at least that's not what he's conveyed. So. Um, so yeah, and so or is he talking about that? Or that's when it was great for him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. And a lot of these like older people um, who lived during the times that he's talking about, you know, might be like, oh yeah, like I miss when my life looked like this. But while your life looked like this, you're forgetting that a lot of people's lives didn't look that way. And that's why it's important to you know recognize that your experience as a white person in America or whatever, your experience as who you are is so, yeah, no two experiences are the same. And, um, and it's okay to recognize that without feeling like you owe people something. So we, had ju we just went camping with um, a lot of my family members who were wearing their Trump 2020 hats and spouting out all lives matter and this black lives matter thing is bullshit. And so imagine me and Jason kind of being the minority there and Jalen. And it was just funny because you hear Lauren mention this. They never said it when I was around. Yeah. They never said it when Jalen was around. And that just goes to show people know what they're doing is wrong or either they don't want to be challenged on it. Because whereas they had their Trump... Uh, hats on you didn't see me you know throwing my political um, like 
where who I'm going with, who I'm voting for. You don't see me with I'm riding with Biden hat on or you know things of that nature. But that's just the 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 privilege, the fact that the like they felt comfortable with doing it, and which I would feel comfortable too if I felt like that strongly about something that apparently they do. But apparently. Again, the fact that they bring these things up with the whole Black Lives Matter is crazy and all this and that, and they never ask me how do I feel about stuff because they know where that would lead and they didn't want to be challenged on it. And that just goes to show like people's mindset around certain situations, the biases that Lauren's talking about that people have and people not wanting to have the difficult conversation because they would just automatically think, oh, I'm going to get upset which in reality, no, I'm not going to get upset about it. But guess what? They might, they're going to probably nine times out of ten feel uncomfortable, or they're going to get upset because I'm going to challenge them to kind of think, and I'm going to ask them questions to see how they really feel, and again, shine a light on those underlying biases that they probably don't even know they have. Which is terrifying because it could change like your entire belief system, and I know personally what that feels like because I was, and I think this is why I'm able to see like more humanity in these presidents, current president supporters and um, and things like that because, and, and to recognize that there is a difference between hate and lack of education because I don't think that my family members or you know the people from my small town really are hateful people. I think they're very kind, loving people for the most part. Obviously there are exceptions in every community, but I do just think that they lack an understanding and I think where the fear comes in from confronting Jason about this or having these uncomfortable conversations or challenging their beliefs is because it's so comfortable to stay in your little bubble and your belief system of everybody in this community believes the same thing that I do. I don't really have to do the education or look at these uncomfortable truths about what somebody else's experience might look like because mine is comfortable, mine is fine. Um, and so I just keep reminding myself that if I encounter a situation where I feel that someone is not ready or not willing to hear me, or they are blatantly like, because I was, when we were camping, somebody did at one point just yell out, Black Lives Matter is bullshit. And I just walked away from that conversation because you can recognize when somebody is like actually curious and willing to examine their beliefs and when somebody is just shut down completely. And, um, you know, I, I can still be around those people in situations like that, but I don't have to engage with them or create a close relationship with them. I can have boundaries. But if we're just completely dismissing everybody that believes something differently than we do or people that don't understand the Black Lives Matter movement or are Trump supporters, if I'm just dismissing them, what I'm doing is creating an echo chamber just as they have, where I'm in a community where I feel safe because we're all believing the same things and we're all saying the same things and we're all just repeating and parroting off of each other like, oh yeah, Black Lives Matter, blah, blah, blah. And then there's this other community that's like, oh yeah, all lives matter, blah, blah, blah. But they're not like mixing and having these important conversations because I have been in conversations about race where I also learn things. Like I said in the beginning of this episode, we are not the experts or the end-all be-all. I can still sit down and have a conversation with someone about their perspective, um, about, you know, to a conservative or whatever, and hear different things that I'm like, 
oh yeah, I can see why you'd feel that way. And a lot of all of these issues is about opinion and perspective. So there is no, in most cases, right or wrong answer other than like humanity. The right or wrong answer is to treat people as human beings who are worthy and deserving of respect no matter who they are. And that's where all of my beliefs lie. And so thinking of myself as a Democrat or Republican just doesn't work for me because I would have to box myself in and say one category is like all my beliefs are here all and that they never change. But really, when it comes down to these individual issues and experiences and, you know, you're you have the ability to pick and choose, like to really educate yourself on an issue to decide how it is that you feel about it and um you know hold these paradoxical beliefs of like wow how can i support me how can i have this brother that's a cop and support police while having a fiance that's black and support black lives matter like how can i hold these two truths together um or these two beliefs or opinions together and not be like so uncomfortable how can i because we feel like we have to make a decision or a belief right away. And what I like to do is just collect perspectives and experiences and continue to educate myself so that on a case-by-case basis, I am more educated and I can like actually recognize when something deeper is going on and to be able to stand up for it in whatever way is appropriate at that time, whether it be using my platform to talk about race and racism or... Um, I don't know. Do you have any other examples or anything else to include to that? Because really, that was like the end rant wrapping up. I think we've covered a lot. (laughs) Definitely, definitely. Yeah, and... Oh, are you going to say something? Okay. It's fine. (laughs) I know this is probably a lot to digest. Like I said, we've been having so many conversations about this, and it can easily become draining. I have to definitely do a lot of self-care and recharge in between. So if you want to explore this further or you want to have more conversations and you're wondering, like, how do I approach this? I really recommend um, just paying attention to, like, how, how you're approaching this with a level of curiosity, like you're in a lifelong learning experience where you may not, you don't know all the right answers right now, but based on what you do know, you've formed beliefs and opinions, but those are always subject to change. And that's kind of how we should approach everything. Um, And that's how we grow and evolve as humans is being able to say, hey, I was wrong, but I see differently now, or I know more. And so I'm able to form a different opinion about something and not box myself into this Republican or Democratic category and feel like I'm stuck there forever. That's how we end up stuck. So closing thoughts, Mr. Most Handsome Man in the World. (laughs) Um, No, nothing for me. Like you were saying, um, don't, I try to, I don't put myself in a box either. I just go by, you know, what feels right for me or to me and just understanding, like I said, as much as I can, understanding the big picture and getting out as much knowledge as I can about the big picture and forming my own opinion from that because, like we said before, uh, no one is perfect. We're not the end-all, be-all, but we just try to understand people as people, as, you know, as human beings, as we 
go about living this world together. Yeah. And this is just an example of us sharing our perspectives and our experiences and the education that we've gained. And so I hope that it's given you some insight, maybe thrown some things your way that caused you to think or want to research more or just helped you grow as a person. And I know this conversation has definitely helped me grow as a person. So, And like Lauren was saying, just um, just a few things that she has recommended to me about and, and friends have recommended to me to kind of educate myself and get a better understanding. Um, you have books, like I mentioned before, The Color of Law. Then you have the Willie Lynch Letters, which is a very hard uh, read or listen to as we did with uh, on Juneteenth with the audiobook, but I just challenge you to, and it's very short, challenge you to read that and, and kind of understand how these, um, the way that they, these, these men, these plantation owners used to divide the black community, how it still happens today, um, as well as how to be anti, how to be an anti-racist as well as white fragility. These are books that me and Lauren have, have, have read and are reading to better educate ourselves so this is just the best way we know how and another distractor also since you brought up white fragility is i was having a conversation with someone's husband a few weeks ago and when i brought up that i read white fragility he like immediately dismissed me and was like that's the worst book in the world like you don't know anything if you've read that book and and again, that's easy to say, like, to, oh, you listen to that podcast, oh, you watch that, like, show. And that's why I emphasize that I actually listen to and read a variety of resources. Um, and so I asked him, you know, have you read it? He said yes, but I still don't believe that he did. But anyway, um, I wanted to emphasize that I use the book White Fragility not as my, again, end-all, be-all resource for what racism looks like, also because the author is white. But it, you, I use that book to help me understand further what a white person's perspective might be in conversations about race, what those barriers might be when, you know, I'm wondering why are you so uncomfortable about talking about this or why do you shut down or why do you react this way? It helps me understand that so I can better navigate these difficult conversations. And that brings us back to understanding how other people might experience the world and having that um, empathy to recognize, yeah, it is a really hard conversation to have. It is a really difficult thing to acknowledge. And I recognize that as a white person and I really want to be, um, I really want to approach these conversations in the most productive way possible because it's not about me bashing my opinion over somebody's head until they believe it. It's about like us having a mutual understanding where we don't just walk away and they're like wow you've enlightened me I'm a totally different person with different beliefs but like wow we've challenged each other's beliefs I feel like I'm coming out of this conversation with something more because I don't want to just sit here and have conversations with people where I feel like yeah I was so right there like I really got my point across like it's a mutual thing I want to learn more I want to grow more and as humans I think I hope that the people I'm having conversations with feel the same. So check out those resources. And thank you, Jason, for bringing that up. There are funds you can donate to as well. Um, I've donated to, yeah, we both donated to the NAACP and other funds like that. Um, do you have any other 
places that you can donate to or check out. If you can support black owned businesses um, and just instead of sitting here and like conversations, of course, are very important, but then action is the next step after you have conversations and educate and you can do all of this simultaneously. You don't have to do all of the things at once if that overwhelms you, but pick and choose one thing a few times a week or once a day or whatever, um, whatever works for you. So thank you again for listening and I will talk to you again soon. And Jason will be on for another episode of conversations with the most handsome man in the world next month. Take care. Bye. <laughs>